Sorry to break up that uh, great communication through masks. Um, I know that y'all are really sad that I'm making y'all stop that right now. So come back to your seats. We're going to get started. My name is Jeremy. I am one of the pastors at the church, like I mentioned before, and we are glad that you're here, especially guests, um, new, newcomers. Um, love that y'all are here. Honored that you're worshiping with us today. Um, like I said last week, this will be the last week we're doing kind of a standalone sermon. And then next week, we're jumping back into 1 Corinthians. We're going to do kind of a review, catch-up sermon next week to kind of bring us back to where we've, where we've been and where we are now and then start um, kind of going through the text passage by passage like we were before um, kind of this, this pandemic hit. So that will be next week. For today, our text is going to be Ephesians 4. And I'm going to read it, and then we're going to pray. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6. Paul says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, as always, I'm, I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful that you speak through it. I'm thankful that we can organize this whole gathering around your word where we're singing songs that are um, kind of inspired and written uh, from your word. And we, the, the prayers, the, the, uh, the, the readings, communions we'll take at the end. I'm thankful for your word. And I pray that the word this morning would change us, it would change the way we think, change our minds, it would change our hearts and, 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 and the way we feel, and it would change the way we live, um, what we do when we leave this place. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Still practicing this, but if you're at home, uh, welcome, um, and uh, we are glad that you're watching along this morning with us. Um, so when I was first dating Nicole, first dating Nicole, um, after a few dates, the, 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 my friends that were, by the way, we just celebrated our 15-year anniversary last week, so that's, that's awesome, yeah. Um, so, so this was probably 17 years ago, 17 years ago-ish. Dating Nicole, and after the first couple of dates, the friends that were closest to me started asking questions, right? Like, tell me about her, and what's up? And it, and it started to get serious pretty quick uh, after, you know, a few dates. And these, these friends, and like, guys like Blake and, and Shanae even, and um, uh, Patrick Clark, who a lot of you know, um, one of the first questions they asked me, probably like the second or third question, which tells you a lot about this, is, is does she like sports? Like, with a big, like... And I said, no. She actually doesn't care a lick about sports. She doesn't. And their faces just dropped, right? Like, oh, no. Like, he, he's going to lose this one. He's going to lose this one because she doesn't like sports. And I, it tells you a lot about me because I grew up loving sports. I was obsessed with sports. I played sports. A lot of this came from my dad. Um, and he loved sports. And so I just kind of took on the things that he likes, kind of like um, a lot of kids do with their parents. 
but I loved it. I played it. I, 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 at that point, I'd coached some of it. Um, I love stats and facts and fantasy, fantasy stuff. So super, super nerdy about sports. Um, and then here comes Nicole into my life, right? Could care less about sports. Um, and be, so just to make sure that um, I was, was right with this illustration last night, I asked her the question. She's in the back right there. I asked her the question um, just to kind of test the theory out, make sure I was right. I said, who, who would you say, just, just name one Thunder player right now, right? Like Thunder had a big win last night. It's on my mind. Just name one Thunder player. And she's like, she sits there and thinks about it. And she was like, I hear, I hear people talking a lot about that guy, um, Russell West, is it Westbrook? Westbrook? Is that his last name? Westbrook? So first of all, like she didn't know that Russell Westbrook was on a different team. And second of all, she didn't even know his name. Like didn't even know his name. So this is, this is my wife, right? She could care less about sports. And I'd say that God put us together because um, to, to rub off and to push against my uh, idolatrous ways when it comes to sports. God gave her to me for that. Um, and I um, w- would have hoped over 15 years I could have pulled her, pulled her a little bit more towards me in the area of sports. But obviously, after last night, I have failed miserably at uh, leading her into the sports world. And I say that because this is two people that at least in this area are polar opposite, right? And coming together. And this is, it was so important to me that I had my best friends in my life asking me, does she like it, right? Like that was one of the top things she, they asked me about Nicole. And I think in this season we live in, in this world we live in, there are a lot of things in our world to have a strong opinion about. A lot of things, right? We have, we're in the middle of an of a election season politically, so politically, Uh, politics are extra charged right now. There are sides being taken on that, which happens every election season, right? Um, We have COVID, which there's a lot of, a lot we don't know about it. So when there's a lot that we don't know about something, because the the science hasn't had the time to come out, there are opinions that come up, and there are sides being taken on that. And it's okay to have opinions in those types of things. You've had the, the racial injustices happen in the last six months. And there are things that people are kind of lean different ways on that as well. And so there is a lot in our world right now that we have strong opinions on. And this sermon is, is about looking at the text, especially for those of us who are in the church, and saying, how can we still have a strong opinion, a strong opinion, yet be respectful and loving towards those who don't share my opinion, right? And I think there's, there's, there's lots of scriptures that are clear about this, especially as we relate to, relate to people inside the church. And this, this context for this passage is really important. This is written in a context where this is a church plant environment in Ephesus, so a new, newer church in the city of Ephesus, and you had folks who were Jewish and folks who were Gentile, which it's a biblical word for those who just aren't Jewish, right? So you have Jewish and everyone else, which is, they're called Gentiles, um, where you had massive, group, massive uh, amounts of both people coming to know Jesus. And God is, God is wanting them. They're now a family. They're in God's family because they have faith in Jesus, and God wants them to actually act like family, right? He wants them to be family, act like family, treat one another like family. And this is crazy When you think about these two groups of people, this is why this context is so important. You had the Jewish person who was guided by God's law, 
previously guided by God's law. There were roughly 613 laws in the Old Testament, and those laws kind of helped God's people live their day-in and day-out lives. You had laws about food. You had laws about dress. You had laws about um, civic disputes. Their judiciary system was set up on the law. The, the Jewish people lived by God's law. That was the way they thought they were going to lead to the blessing and flourishing in the presence of God being God's people. Then you have Gentiles coming out of a Greco-Roman worldview. They had, the only law they had was the laws brought down by their government. Right? They, had, they didn't really have anything to do with God's temple, but they had other temples they had, that they, had, they were, had grown up around. Food, food wasn't a big deal to them, right? But Jewish folk had, had strong opinions and guidelines about food, especially uh, those surrounding the temple. Uh, Paul uh, kind of un wraps a case study in Romans 14 about food offered to idols. This is, the, this is exactly what he was talking about, this, this disagreement here. Uh, Jewish folk also had uh, opinions just about certain kinds of food you could eat, like you can't eat pork. Well, Gentiles didn't have any issue about eating pork, right? And so you had all these opinions and, and preferences were being brought into this new community, this new family that was supposed to be a family that would reflect God's... Uh, mercy and power and love to the world. So this is God's design. In verses four through six in the passage I read, we're going to start here and then we're going to go back to verses one through three because four through six really is, is the why. This is why God feels so strongly about his people living in unity. And this is why almost every epistle in the New Testament written to the church has at least a section about unity because it is near and dear to the heart of God. Look at verses 4 through 6 in Ephesians. There is one body and one spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. One body meaning the church. That's united through the spirit. Just as you were called to be the one hope that belongs to your call, calling them into the family of God. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That's like a strong kind of Trinitarian statement there. God is one God, but three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit there. But this is the purpose, right? This is the purpose for which God is unrolling his plan of salvation, to create a people set apart for himself um, that are redeemed by the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so that has happened for those in the church, right? We've been saved. We've We've been reconciled to God. Now, this part of the epistle, Paul is saying, okay, let's live like it. Let's live like it. In, in, in chapters 1 through 3, Paul in, in, in Ephesians, like most other epistles, has, has unwrapped kind of the, the big theology and the why and the ideas of, behind the gospel and God's plan of salvation for the nations. And then chapters 4 through 6, he's going to get into the practicals, right? He's not uh, kind of setting aside the theology. He's, he's saying, okay, in light of what I've just told you, here's how this looks played out in the world. So this is the very beginning of that half of Ephesians here. And so if you're, a, if you're not a follower of Jesus in this room, I just want to ha- have you um, think about a few things as we go through this, right? So um, this is written to the church. Like God is speaking to people who have been saved. But what I want you to think about is um, just what would it be like for a group of people with drastically different backgrounds, drastically different um, beliefs and opinions on some things coming together and and being a family, being of God's people. And, and, and th- I think there's something really beautiful about that when people can lay down their preferences to unconditionally love their brothers and sisters. 
There's not a lot of places in the world that you can get that. Maybe, maybe none, but very few at least, where you can get that unconditional love from brother and sister. And so I think there's something really attractive here that God wants to see played out in the church. And so if you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe that's something you can look at here and think about your communities, your people that you're around on a day-to-day basis. So let's go to uh, verse 1, and then we're going to just look at verses 1 through 3. And that's going to be all today. Verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So there's there's this idea of calling there. That's just um, God calling people into the faith. Holy Spirit changing someone's heart, and God calls them into a, a new identity. He calls them into a new story. He calls them to be a part of a new people um, living in a, in a kind of a spiritual kingdom that over time will become an earthly kingdom. Okay? This, is, this is the calling that we hear when we should, we should think about when Paul says calling. And he says, and he says, I, a prisoner of the Lord. So Paul's living it, right? He's saying, I'm a servant in the Lord. I've been imprisoned by um, authorities for this gospel, and I'm urging you. I'm pleading with you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Be who you are. You're claiming to be followers of Jesus. You're claiming to be redeemed by by Jesus. Live like it. So he's going to tell us how. Verse 2. Verse 2. There's four um, characteristics or you could say virtues or even like postures here. And I'm going to read this verse and then we're going to go back through and look at these four things. This is kind of our outline for today. Verse 2, with all humility, it's the first one, and gentleness, with patience, that's the third one, bearing with one another in love. Or you can also say loving forbearance. Okay, humility, gentleness, patience, and loving forbearance. So let's just look at these one by one. Because this is the answer, right? Paul's saying this is how you are to live um, with people who disagree with you from different backgrounds with you. This is how you live as a family and fulfill my purposes as the church. Okay, humility. Another uh, word for this is lonely, lowliness, lowliness. Um, and this is not a desirable virtue in the Greco-Roman world. It was not something to be desired. And I, and I think in our culture, um, I think this is a word that we don't like using. Oftentimes this is used in kind of a negative standpoint of they were, they were humbled. Like they, they were, oh, they were, they were humbled big time, right? Like it's some kind of like negative thing to be humble and feel full of humility. I think it carries some connotations of, of weakness and some sense of shameful lowliness. Not just lowliness, but shameful. Like lowliness where you kind of walk around with your head down and you, you lack confidence. And that is not what um, humility is. That's not what humility is. Philippians 2 says, Jesus humbled, same word, humbled himself to the point of death. Not only death, but death on a cross. Death in the most humiliating way you could possibly die. That's how much Jesus humbled himself. So we can't see this word. We should never, ever, ever see humility and see it as a negative thing. It's not. It's a thing to be cherished. It's a thing to fight for in your personal life. Now, what does this not mean? It doesn't mean that you're agreeable. It doesn't mean that you're a doormat. It doesn't mean that you let people walk all over you. That's not what it means. Having your own opinions and preferences is okay. Those things are fine. But being being humble means 
recognizing that they are your opinions and your preferences, and they may not be without error, right? They may not be without error. They may not be perfect because we're not perfect. And so we want to, in, in relationship, we set those things aside temporarily to be able to listen to other people's opinions and preferences, making them feel heard and respected and loved and not immediately jumping to trying to win for your side. It's my opinion. I'm right. You're wrong. Let me show you how you're wrong. And that's oftentimes I see right now the first the leap that we make when, when we hear someone that disagrees with us. Think, again, think about Jesus, how he did things, right? He was not quick to overreact, right? Jesus was measured. He was humble. He could have done things differently. Like when he saw somebody not living the way they should have lived, he could have done a lot of different things. He could have come in and just railed on them. He could have um, guilted them into be, behaving the right way. He could have killed him on the spot. He had that power. But the majority of the overwhelming majority of the time, Jesus was humble. He came into somebody's world and he listened. He asked questions usually first rather than give statements first. If you look at the interactions with people, usually he came with a question. Makes someone feel heard and he learns more about that person. Even though he was God and knew everything about the person, he's showing us asking questions is good, right? He modeled what this looks like. And so he could have done things different. Now, there were times, especially with the Pharisees, where he came stronger, right? But again, he understood the Pharisees, and he was still humble in, in how he dealt with the Pharisees. And he could have done a lot worse to them, right? I mean, he called them out, and he, he railed on them, but he, he didn't kill them. He didn't, even, he didn't even punish them in that moment, right? He just told them how they were wrong. And so what we need to think about as it relates to humility we can have humility because we have the respect and the approval and the love of God in the person and work of Jesus. Oftentimes when we're not humble, we're trying to prove ourselves. We want to win. We want to feel respected. We want to be heard. We want our people, maybe on our team or our opinion, to approve of us. Therefore, we want to fight loud for our team for that. We don't need any of that as followers of Jesus. We've been approved. We're, we're approved of we're respected and loved by the creator God, period. And if we believe that and know that, it allows us to move into these spaces of disagreement, move into relationships with more humility. We listen more than we speak. We try to understand the person's story and how does their story impact their opinion or why they think the way they do. There's endless things you can think about when it comes to humility. Now, the next one's gentleness. Gentleness. Okay, gentleness. There's a pairing here. It says humility and gentleness. This could also mean meekness, right? And this is a fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. This is something that's praised in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus tells us to be meek in the Sermon on the Mount. And really what meekness is, there's a lot of definitions, and I think we kind of get it, but it's, it's someone who really knows themselves, right? Who knows themselves, who can exercise self-control over their, their, their emotions, over their, their, um, their, maybe their anger or their opinions in this case, and still serve others. So we have, we have confidence in what we believe, but we can kind of set that aside and serve others in the moment. That's what meekness is or gentleness. Now you can think of these as kind of uh, as postures too. This, these are the ways followers of Jesus should go about their lives. We should be marked by humility as followers of Jesus and gentleness. And it's not weakness. It's, it's being able to say the right word at the right time. 
It's not being quick. Um, the, 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 the biblical word for it is pugnacious, very quick to argue, quick to push back. That is not the, the, the way of a follower of Jesus. It doesn't mean not standing up for what we believe, but it's that first, that, that entering into relationship. It's how to talk to one another about um, certain things. Think, and when you think of posture, you think of Jesus' posture with Zacchaeus, right? Um, he, he, he engages him. There's some compassion. You almost see the compassion for him. You have the woman caught in adultery, one of the bo- most beautiful pictures of um, gentleness in all of the scriptures. This woman's about to be killed, um, and, and Jesus steps in, gets down on her level, and whispers to her, and he encourages her, speaks truth to her. Woman at the well, same idea, right? Jesus' posture is one of humility and gentleness, and the scripture calls us to those things as well. Third, it's, it, this, these are all connected. So patience or long-suffering is some translations use long-suffering. This, this idea really first appears in Exodus 34, 6. It says, the Lord passed before him, this is to Moses, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Okay? And if there was any characteristics that describe God towards us, I think it would be patience or long-suffering. Think about it. How, especially those of you in the room who are followers of Jesus, really for every human being, but how patient is God with us? How patient is he? He, he is holy and he's perfect. And how far do we fall from that standard? Daily. He's patient. His mercies are new every morning. Every morning God says, okay, here, more, here's more mercy. Here's more grace for you to live your day because I know you're going to need it. I know it. How patient and long-suffering is God with our sin, with our rebellion, with our not even thinking about him in certain days, and we owe him everything. Now, back to us. How patient and long-suffering should we be towards other people? All human beings, but especially those inside the church. How patient should we be with each other? And, and the, I'll go ahead and read the, this next one, too, because they kind of fit together. The next one's bearing with one another in love or loving forbearance. And some, some uh, translations say tolerance, showing tolerance in love. So this bearing with one another. And, and, and notice here with these last two, patience and forbearance, Paul is expecting us to have, expecting this to be hard, right? Like you never go up to somebody saying, okay, now you, gotta be, you need to be really patient with him. You got to be really patient with her. That's basically, that's what it's saying is, hey, expect resistance. Expect something that's going to make being patient challenging, right? And so this is what he's expecting. When a family gets together and tries to live life together, be one, live this thing out, it is going to be messy. This is not going to be easy. There's nothing here that says, hey, this is going to be really easy, right? Like you're just going to get all this, this strength and power. Well, God does provide power through the Holy Spirit to do this, but he's not saying this is going to be easy. This is like real life stuff. So Paul's expecting us to be patient and to bear with one another other sins. When they sin against us, when they disagree with us, when they hold different opinions or preferences than us, we are to be patient with our brothers and sisters in Christ, especially, okay, over a long period of time. And you know what? You want that from them. You want, 
your brothers and sisters of Christ to be patient with you. Because I, we all know, if we just take a minute and, and be a little reflective, that we annoy people. All of us. We all get in others, get in others business, right? We, we do things that hurt one another, right? And so we, um, we bear with one another. And we tolerate each other. Um, a passage, a verse that's really, I guess, popular in the previous chapter, chapter 3, verse 17, Paul says, to be rooted and established in love. And we like that verse. It's strong. It's saying we're going to be rooted and established in love. But I think these, these four things, these four characteristics, are that's what it looks like to, to be lived out. Like our love is so strong, it's so rooted and grounded, we have an anchor here that we can love one another so well that we can bear with one another well. We can be gentle when being gentle is really, really hard. We can be humble and show humility when, ev- when ev- our flesh is just screaming, pride, 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 you're right, you're right, you're right. No, we're rooted and grounded in love. And that love is the love for which God loved us in Christ Jesus, which was a, a, a love of humility that Christ showed on our behalf. So we are to love one another in that way. And I, I think this idea of tolerance is interesting because... Um, Tolerance is, uh, there, there's kind of a new definition of tolerance and an old classic definition of tolerance. The, the new definition of tolerance is, is kind of like, we, like all opinions are equal, and so we have to treat other people who disagree with us as their opinions are just as right and equal as ours. That is not what tolerance is. Classic view of tolerance is, hey, I've got my opinions and beliefs. You've got your opinions and beliefs. I don't agree with you, and you may not agree with me. And I'm not going to force you to agree with me, and you can't force me to agree with you. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to have tolerance to each other so we can live in the same world, and we both have a chance to flourish and live the life we want to live in the world. That is, that's the classic definition of tolerance. It's not, hey, everybody needs to fit in a box. Everybody needs to sit, believe the same things. And if you don't believe the same things, then you're kind of forced or bullied into believing the same things, okay? So when it says here, tolerating one another, he's saying, hey, you're in this family together, right? You're in the family. All, you're, you're one in Christ. You're one in the spirit, one gospel, all, one church, all these things. Now, be patient. You're going to have to tolerate each other, especially on secondary issues, and we'll list a few of those here in a second. In the last verse here, Paul says, eager, kind of a, 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 a review, we're going back to this idea of unity, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So that's been given, right? As the church, we've been given this, 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 the, the unity of the Spirit and bond of peace. So he's saying maintain it. That's actually part of our job as followers of Jesus is to maintain the peace and the unity that he has given us, especially as it's played out in the world. Now, I want to just give a few examples, right? Because I think um, we can hear those things, and these aren't new. Th- you've, it's, if you've been in church in any length of time, you've, all, you've heard this before. I think this is a unique time in our world, and we really need to, to be really reflective in this moment. So let's take, let's take politics, for example, right? Politics. Um, it's okay to have a strong political opinion, right? It's okay, right? But here's what we need to do and practice with that strong political opinion. Are you willing to lay it aside for the sake of conversation and to love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you willing to set those aside and not fight about those things, making sure that these relationships are in a place where you can actually have really good discussions maybe on where you disagree. It's not that you can ever talk about these things or never, but it's, again, the posture. Are you going into this conversation about politics 
knowing, okay, I have a pretty strong belief about this. They may disagree with me. That's humility, right? Understanding who you are. Going and saying, this is not about winning this argument, right? Like, this relationship isn't determined by whether I win this argument on politics. So I'm going to go in this with humility and gentleness. I'm going to be patient with them. No matter how wrong I think they are, I'm going to be patient with them. Not in a condescending um, way, but in a, in a loving way. And I'm going to love them well. And maybe, just maybe, I can learn something from them. I can learn something from their story. Because no, we know, you know politics, but no political system is, is, um, is without error, is perfect. Hopefully everybody would acknowledge that. Because politics are, men and women are involved in politics, and we are all sinful and broken. We bring our junk into the politics, right? So maybe our politics are off a little bit, and we can learn from our, fair, from our brothers and sisters. Um, COVID, another one, right? Just COVID in general, right? I mentioned earlier, we don't know a lot about it, and we don't know a lot about something that's affecting the world so much. It's really easy and natural, I think, to form opinions, right? And we form opinions that they change, right? Because science changes, and more information comes out. And so, again, holding it loosely. Like, COVID's one of those things we should hold it out here open-handed. Yeah, it's my opinion, but you know, things could change, new science could come out, and so there's just this whimsical humility that you have when it comes to some of these things. Now, it's okay to have strong opinions about COVID too, but don't demonize the person that has those other opinions from you. Because this, again, this is, this is extra biblical here. There's, there, this is outside the scripture, politics, COVID. We're not talking about the deity of Jesus right? Or the security of our salvation. These, these aren't the issues we're talking about. They're the issues that we have strong opinions on that maybe the Bible doesn't speak directly to. So we need to hold those things open. Mask wearing, right? And this is probably the, the least of them, but it, again, I don't, I don't necessarily think, this isn't happening in our church. Um, I know that, and, I, and, I, and I'm not just saying that. It's not happening in our church, but it is happening in other churches, I know, and it is happening for sure in the world. So mask wearing, again, this is something where it's like, acknowledge I have a strong opinion about it, take a deep breath, not everyone's going to share my opinion about it. And it's not a hill to dial. That's gentleness, humility, long-suffering, patience, these types of things. Uh, one of the things that um, we tell in our premarital counseling that Nicole and I do, one of the very first things we say is the purpose of marriage is not to make you happy. If you're getting married to get, to get happy, it, you're, you're in for um, a rude awakening, right? It's not to make you happy. It is to make you holy, or it is to make you look more like Jesus. God instituted marriage to, to, to display his glory, but also to make us a, a, an instrument or a tool to make us look more like Jesus. Why? Because you put two sinners together. I used the sports illustration kind of as a lighthearted one earlier, but there are other issues we come together, we disagree on over and over and over. And there's this constant rubbing away our flesh if we, if we stay connected and love each other well that happens between Nicole and I. And we, over 15 years, we can look back and, yeah, I, I, I love Jesus so much better because of the disagreements we've had, because of the differing opinions we've shared. I love Jesus more because of Nicole. And I think that's the same thing for the church, right? Like, we don't just join a church 
because everyone's going to agree with us in a church and we share same political views as a church, same opinions as a church. What if the church was actually the place where people that were united in Jesus, that God designed it, where people from all different backgrounds, all different streams came together and part of the disagreement and the rubbing was actually to sanctify you, to make you look more like Jesus. And so I think what, if we have that, if we can twist that and see that that may be the, so the first time somebody disagrees with us in the church, we don't pull out of community. We say, oh, wait, this is, this is why I joined the church. Now I, I need to move closer to community. I need to move into community like I would with Nicole. Like I'm not out of the marriage. Hey, I'm out because she dis, we disagree on this. I'm done. No, it's like, well, let's talk about this. Like, let's work through this. I didn't know. I didn't know those were your expectations. I didn't know that that was the way you thought. And we begin to hash things out because the, those things usually aren't the main thing when it comes to our marriage. Same thing with the church. And I want to I kind of leave us with this. Um, this is a quote from Dietrich Barnhofer. And I think what he's saying here is that we all have this kind of, I think, sometimes pie-in-the-sky idea of Christian community, that there's going to be no conflict, no hard conversations, Um, everyone's going to agree with me about everything. And that's just not true. And that's what he's saying here. He says, those who love their dream of a Christian community more than the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community, even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. I don't think there's like wolves, and there are wolves, the scripture talks about wolves coming into the church and creating dissension. I don't think that happen, happens very often. I mean, normally it's well-meaning people who don't have those ill motives coming in, but um, seeds of distrust can be sown. They can leave at the first drop of disagreement in the church. And, and what he's saying here is don't worship or love your dream or ideal of Christian community, which is really heaven, right, um, for the Christian community itself, the people that are actually in the community. Let's pray. Father, we need your help. This is such a lofty and high ideal that you give us. That you expect us to, to work towards. It says that we're, we maintain, Scripture says, the the bond of unity and peace, unity and peace. And we know the scriptures say your spirit unites us into one family. I pray that you would then come behind that and help us be, be people who walk around with humility, with gentleness, with patience, with loving forbearance, especially to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that this would be a place that would be a model, that would be a picture for the rest of the world where people who disagree about things can come together and, and, and love one another well. And I think that's your, one of your intentions for the unity is to, to show off to the world, to show off your glory and honor to the rest of the world. And I pray that Providence Road Church would be a church that is displaying that, is displaying your honor and glory by being unified and not um, having dissensions or disunity or having uh, uh, um, pockets of people who are, um, have different opinions over here and over here, and this wedge begins to develop in the church. I, I pray um, you would help us fight against that, that you would keep 
uh, Satan and the forces of darkness, which Scripture says are real and work against us in this area, I pray that you would um, help us recognize when those things are happening and pray that you would help us fight off those forces. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.